What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of the Disruption Podcast, episode 145. It's a little bit different this time. It's Northern Baghdadi. It's Chief Olasaji in the building, baby. It's your girl, Moezy. Yeah, it's the boy Prince, what's up? <laughs> and if you're watching this, you can see that Daniel and Carl are offset for yeah. the start of it. We've got a little bit of a different setup. We've got four guests today. Yep. I'll let them all introduce themselves first. Maybe we'll start with the Shooter Shoot girls. Uh, this is Jerusalem from Shooter Shoot. This is Red Ass. I'm Parin from Foundation House. Hi, I'm Christine from Foundation House too. Awesome. Nice. And I guess the easiest way to go about this is, do you ladies want to introduce Foundation House and how this came about? And then Foundation House ladies can explain what they're doing yes. as well. Okay, cool. Um, just a brief introduction to Shoot a Shoot. So um, it started off being Sagali's 23rd birthday. It was a really small scaled um, event that he wanted to do with his friends. Um, and then he had a lot of people around him that really connected him to different people, sponsors and all that. Um, and then we ended up choosing to donate to Foundation House. And the CEO of Foundation House, which is um, Paris. Paris, he came down, he was really shocked by the whole thing. And he was like, yeah, we want to pledge 10K. And so we made 16K. Wow. And then, yeah, then after that, we've just been connected from Foundation House. They've been really um, supporting us. I was so surprised by the support from them, honestly. And then we, get to meet, we got to meet Christine and all of them. Um, but yeah, that's a really brief in introduction. Yeah, so pretty much what kind of started as, uh, as sorry, a small basketball tournament with friends for a birthday party turned into this like large scale community event with sponsors like Foundation House. So it was really good. We really saw how how much impact we could have within the community, and like it was just an amazing thing that we said. You know, we can't just stop there. Like mm. it's something that we can kind of, kind of just like yeah, continue on and like formalize proper connections with Foundation House and just further raise awareness and really provide resources for those in the community. Because we mm. saw, you know, families come to the event. We saw young people enjoying themselves. And it was one of, like, the first big-scale events that we had yeah. since prior COVID. So it was something that we were like, yeah, this is really necessary um, within the community, not mm. only to raise awareness, but just to kind of, like, create a space that was really inclusive, safe, um, mm. comfortable for people um, of colour, mm. really. Um, but, yeah, and then... So we'll go to Foundation House yeah. because, yeah, we'll see, like, I guess the impact that they've had with us because we definitely couldn't have done all that we did without yeah. them and their influence. The resource that they have, even just the knowledge really yeah. kind of just helped us really, yeah, kind of go through everything. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Thanks, girls. This is the first we've heard uh, directly from you about your project as well. Um, Foundation House has really grown uh, over about 30 years or just over 30 years we've been around. Uh, we're a torture and trauma service that supports refugee and asylum seeker um, families, young people, children, uh, elders, communities. Um, and I guess your project fits into our community capacity building projects. Um, so we have different programs. So we have direct services where we do individual counselling, family work. Um, we have a complementary therapies, natural therapies program. We do school support work, uh, so we have workers in schools doing both individual counselling and support of children and young people, but also supporting school staff to understand the needs of refugee and asylum seeker mm -hmm. children and young people. 
So um, the the work we do is really broad and we do have different regions. So um, our team in the West has been really key in the work with um, mm-hmm. with Shooters Shoot. Um, and I think what you're adding to us, I think, you know, you, you obviously thank you for the, you know, the acknowledgement of the support the Foundation House is giving you, but we've really had a gap in terms of um, youth voice and mm-hmm. participation. Um, it's been driven mostly by workers mm-hmm. and, you know, adults. Um, yes, we have our clients but in our project work we haven't had young people leading the way and it's just amazing and awesome that that's now happening through this collaboration um, with you all so we're benefiting greatly from from your lived experiences and voices as well I think yeah not enough in the past maybe we've tried um, and we've engaged communities but I think we've got more room we need to work closer with communities and the people that we work with um, to hear from you guys what you know what the community needs and one of the projects we've got going at the moment is the team that I work I work with at the moment um, which is the Afghan community response team so we're responding to the mental health needs of uh, Afghans who have uh, been evacuated from the crisis in Afghanistan and part of as part of our counseling team direct service team we've also got five community project workers straight from the Afghan community from the different ethnic backgrounds who are in the community informing our work and supporting our direct work with clients which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And Parwan's our team leader of that of that program, which is really exciting as well, being from the community as yeah, well. For sure. Cool. That's really cool. I guess just for both of you, how long have you guys been part of Foundation House individually? Go ahead. That's really going to tell us our age now. Nine years for me. Wow. So nine years and I moved across from our generalist team where I worked with um, children right through to adults mm-hmm. and then I moved across to a specialised team for children and adolescents and families and I did a lot of outreach at schools. So as part of, as Christine said, as part of our work, we do go out into schools and we um, not only respond to ref- referrals for individual counselling but we support wellbeing staff as well. Mm-hmm. So we talk through trauma symptoms, how people might want to um, support students, what could be helpful in a classroom, for instance, that sort of thing. Um, that's where, yeah, I've come through there and then more recently jumped on board with our new team. So, yeah, I've been around for nine years. That's awesome. Uh, I've been there 21 years. Um, Started in in research and group work, so we did some great research projects um, with refugee young people following them over five years, uh, looking at their settlement um, issues and needs. Uh, Moved into group work then uh, and after the group work moved into individual counselling. Did a lot of school-based work initially as well, um, also supporting and debriefing and supervising school staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently, last two, three years, have been working with at-risk young people, so doing a lot of work closely with youth justice, with YSAS Drug Alcohol Service in the southeast, um, working with some young people in and out of custody, doing some legal advocacy, going to court and really trying to help magistrates understand the complex issues mm. of young people. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're really lucky in the southeast. we've had some great responses from magistrates who are trying to give therapeutic outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yes, of course, they have to, um, you know, put people on orders, but really trying to make sure there's adequate support for young people yeah. uh, when they are released from prison. Yeah, yeah. No, That's awesome. Like, I'm in awe of everything that you guys have literally spoken about, like both both of you guys, in terms of, like, the work you're doing 
um, in the community because it's not like you're waiting for someone to come to you and share the information. You guys are actually going out to different, Active. you know, communities, different yeah. places and actually speaking to people, providing them with the information. Um, just in terms of like, you know, mental health and the topic itself, it can be pretty heavy, I guess. Um, the content, the people that you meet, the stories that you hear. So it's like, how did you guys get into it? Like, where did the passion for it come? And for you guys as well, why was mental health such an important topic to kind of, you know, raise awareness around? Mm. Please go ahead. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I can briefly say, are you both um, people of faith, Christian? Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So I know that with my family, I think it was more, not shunned down, but it's more like that's not very godly. That's from yeah. the opposite side. Yeah. Um, so I just, yeah, that whole perception and that whole mind Wait, yeah, like <laughs> mindset, yeah, yeah. yeah um, wasn't really helpful to be honest, but the community really, um, really helps. And that's what I thought, like, now our shoe shoot um, tournaments are really um, replacing what we had growing up. Like we had church, we would go, um, but usually people that don't really attend these things and don't have people to really talk to, it can be really harder for them, so... Yeah, yeah that just whole jumping off that, like, growing up, the mindset towards mental health, even for us, like, growing up, I guess even just people of culture as well, like, in, like culturally from um, a lot of, like, yeah, sorry, third world countries, that's kind of the perception towards mental health. It's not really a conversation you mm -hmm. have in the household. So we were like, you know, for a lot of these young people, they don't, they're not having these conversations growing up. And we can kind of see the effects of that because we see a lot of people within the community, you know, I guess, falling victim to mental, mental mm -hmm. ill health and mm -hmm. things like that. So we were like... Through basketball, we're kind of raising a win, like through a sport that everyone enjoys and even like families are even mm. willing to go to, you know, a basketball tournament, mm. things like that. We're kind of trying to bridge the gap and to see how like, you know, that conversation is really important and how mm. young people like are really like needing that conversation, especially with families who came to the tournament. Like they, we feedback from them as well was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, we didn't realize like how much, how like how many people in the community are really trying to address mental health. Like it kind of mm. was awareness for them too. And yeah. we really feel like that's so important as well. Even moving on with future um, uh, programs that we have set up, it's like we're really trying to bring that conversation not only in the community but mm. back at home because mm. that's not what we mm. kind of grew up with. And yeah. we see mm. that it's so important because if you start that there, a lot of things can kind of be avoided. So just, mm. I mean, there's other factors, of course, but like, yeah, a lot of things can be avoided, so to speak. So, yeah, we really kind of just highlighted that throughout throughout the tournament last year and, like, kind of moving forward. That this is something that we really see and needed in the community. So, yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's cool. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I think for me personally, I was reflecting on that and thinking, I don't know whether I as a kid was drawn to stories of suffering mm. or I was looking for myself in those stories. Mm. I'm not sure. But I used to read a lot of – I used to read a lot anyway just to – learn English really <laughs> um, but my family fled the war when I was four yeah. yep. and we transited out of um, through Pakistan so out of Afghanistan into Pakistan and I think forever I've known trauma like I've known what it what it looks like mm -hmm. I've known that fear like I've seen it in my parents or there's these um, conversations of around suffering but also of strength yeah. and of, of survival and I think there were no spaces, like me growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s, like there were no spaces for us to have these conversations. Mental mm. health was not cool. I mean, it's still, 
you know, there's so much stigma around yeah. it, but it was definitely not something you talked about. Mm. And especially in my community, like you said, it was like, oh, you don't talk about stories that go on at home. You don't mm. talk about if right. your parents yeah. sad yeah. Exactly. or that, you know, a parent might spend too long kind of withdrawn or, you know, like just mm. disconnected a little yeah. bit or all those things that you – all those cues that you pick up as a kid and you know like, hey, mm. what's going on there? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't quite label it but you know something's off, right? But you go to school and you don't talk about it because in my community we don't talk about that stuff. Yeah. And there's this whole concept of, you know, like what, what will people say? And in diary it's mardum chimiga, what will people say? Like – um, so whatever it is, is, it's really intertwined with shame. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we can't talk about mental health without talking around shame and honour um, and guilt that's yeah. tied in with it all. So you kind of carry that as a kid. And I always knew that, like, even as a kid, I would be the one that listened to my friend's problems. So it would just be like, oh, yeah, I was probably about, I don't know, I reckon 14, 15, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to be a counsellor when, mm-hmm. when I grow yeah. up. and. Yeah. You know, and I wish I had a counsellor when I was younger, but mm-hmm. um, so, like, I, I kind of talk this language around, oh, like, counselling's cool, like, get yeah. on board. And I tell yeah. the next generation, like, mm-hmm. talk to people, talk yeah. to find someone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think similarly, um, I think back I'm a child of a second or a second generation um, child of Greek migrants. Mm-hmm. So both my parents came here when they were young and interesting, I never thought in doing this work with refugee communities and clients and trauma, you'll, you'll hear us talk about trauma a lot mm-hmm. rather than mental health and we'll expand on that a little mm-hmm. bit more later. Um, growing up and, again, observing a lot, really looking at um, try and trying to understand the people around me, my family, and yeah. hearing stories at the dinner table, Dad talking about mm-hmm. the village, uh, the house in the village being burnt down mm-hmm. and Grandmother being um, held captive and his father and brother running to the mountains uh, to hide. Mm-hmm. Because my story is a migrant story, mm. I didn't think trauma. Mm. And it's only through doing this work and mm. over years that I realised the stories of many migrants and refugees, asylum seekers, include trauma, mm. as do people's stories here who we know our Indigenous communities, yep. their whole ex- existence since we arrived as colonisers is, tra- you know, is about trauma. So I think um, for me it's always been a curiosity and understanding, mm-hmm. similar, talking to friends from a young age, even within the family being the one that listens and mm-hmm. observes. Yeah. Um, but in terms of then a passion for doing this work, I look back at my um, bookshelf from high school and I was lucky enough to go to a school where we, you know, the novels we were given were about culture and diversity, mm. Indigenous issues, rights, human rights. Mm. So I think that's where my passion started. Mm. But I never chose this work. It really chose me. Mm-hmm. I fell into it mm-hmm. uh, and I just feel really grateful for that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. It's interesting you mentioned with, like, the school counsellors and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Like, I remember maybe... In year 12, I realised we actually had a counsellor at our school. Mm. And I was like, like, it took that long to realise. And then I was like, damn, like you have to be so down bad to actually go talk to him. And then and I was like, it must be like an extreme case for you to yeah. need to go talk to him. And because none of my friends did, I was like, I probably would never kind of thing. I think similarly, the whole faith thing yeah. was like, luckily, like at my house specifically, like it wasn't like we can't talk about this, but... At large, it was kind of like yeah. a, just pray about it kind of yeah, thing, you know? Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because like now I look at it, I'm like, I don't know what I could have benefited off if I just spoke to the counselor Someone. about anything or if more of my friends did. It's like would 
less of them made bad decisions or whatever. Mm. I don't know. But um, mm. on that, I guess, do you want to roll through the next question on yeah, this? Yeah, I guess, like, in terms of that, because <coughs> even just going to a school counsellor, like, recently I've just been hearing a lot of people saying, you know, you don't have to be going through, like, a right, you know terrible right. situation to go and sit down and just speak, you know. It can just be like a, I just want to get things off my mind. Like, I've had a bad day, you know, someone flipped yes. me off in traffic, so I just want to yeah. go talk to a counsellor and stuff. But then there is that stigma that is mm. surrounded around going and, you know, seeking help or going and speaking to a counsellor. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah. Can I comment on the, mm. like, your also um, sense of what is okay to talk mm. to a counsellor mm. about? I think, again, we really need to expand that language yeah. of mental health to wellbeing. Yeah. Like, mm. it's once it becomes, and I think, again, in trying to educate people around mental health, we now have this very clinical idea of mental health and it has to be on this severe end yeah. for you to access support and resources rather than kind of early intervention preventative which would be to go and chat with someone because you're just feeling a bit uneasy about something or something's upset you Mm -hmm. so I think that continuum of mental health health of your mind and spirit and body we you know Mm -hmm. it's really important that we expand that language and use that language of well-being so Mm -hmm. if it's a well-being officer you know you can go there for yeah, anything that affects your well-being. Right, right, right. Grief, loss, you know, we all go through family issues yeah. and uh, and difficult experiences. So I think that's really important mm. that – and I think schools are doing it a little bit better but mm. possibly still have a, a long way Always to go was, yeah. that it's not a, just a crisis intervention mm. service. Mm. It's really about um, – having a safe space where you can express yourself and then you can be guided or supported right. um, for whatever's going on for you. Right, yeah. so treat it more like a gym than a hospital kind of thing. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And we say that to young people. Why is it you will go to the gym and work out and look after your body, yeah. your physical self, but there's a complete neglect mm. of the emotional, spiritual mm part of you Mm. like we kind of have to look at it from a preventative model right Mm. so we want to be emotionally well yes you know just like we want to be physically well we don't want to walk around with a limp if we don't have to we get that knee fixed we get you know Mm. go get physio so it's the same kind of thing Mm. um about the stigma though the stigma yeah the, the stigma i think um I think one of the things is that, you know, mental health is a Western medical term yes. and that's the thing that uh, especially where we work, we work with people who are refugees and asylum seekers and they've come from other parts of the world mm-hmm. that don't really fit this model. But mm-hmm. when we look into cultures and many cultures have ideas around emotional well-being, many cultures will have rituals and ri- really rich rituals around, you know, um, healing and catharsis and, you know, moving through grief together mm. and cooking for each other, um, sitting with each other, mm-hmm. sitting in silence with mm. each other, nurturing mm. a new mum. Mm. Now we know, we know what postnatal depression is now and we've got a term for it. Our ancestors knew that a long, long time ago. Mm. They were doing these rituals for 40 days. Mm. In my culture, women get nurtured for 40 days or even three months, I think, you know, where Mm. people come and cook for them and look after them. And that's what it is. It's Mm. emotional well-being. But you get a family like that and you shift those communities to somewhere like here and we talk about mental health and it just sounds... It sounds like it's pathologising people, right? And so so I think we need to kind of acknowledge both. Um, and, and And some of the communities I work with, like even the Burmese community or people outside of my own community where I've been like, oh, what did you do back home that helps you feel calm? Or what did you do 
for you to feel, yeah. you know, yeah. more yeah. happiness. Because some communities will, might not say they're, um, they're feeling depressed like we do, you know, now. Um, they might say, I, I'm just feeling bad or mm-hmm. sad and mm-hmm. just don't want to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, what would you do back home mm-hmm. to, to motivate you to get out of bed? And it's like, actually, you did. You had an emotional well-being plan. Mm-hmm. You had a system. Yes. Yeah. That's right, I like that because that was actually going to be my next question is, um, do you think people, obviously people experience ill mental health for a variety of reasons, but generally speaking, do you think the lack of community in the Western world and especially as time progresses, technology progresses, all that kind of stuff adds to that? And the reason I say that is because obviously I'm um, Arabic, like from Iraq, and there it's like you've got your church, you've got all your relatives in one place, you've got those kind of support systems where even if you're not necessarily talking about your mental health or wellness, um, you're always around people that are either in a healthy way, distracting you from Mm -hmm. the negative stuff, allowing you to process the big ideas of life, especially in, um, Mm. in a, at least for me, like in a faith context, whether it's the church, mosque, whatever it might be for you, it's like you are able to process the biggest ideas of life. And so all the other stuff of life seems a little less daunting, Mm. you know, but now it's like you bring it someone out of that kind of context they come over as a refugee or a migrant or whatever it might be, um, as well as the people that are already here. And it's like they haven't got those communities. They haven't got all their relatives here. They haven't got all that. It's like are they more likely to then experience it? Yeah. Can I respond? <laughs> um, isolation is yeah. is the worst. It's, it's the biggest risk factor. Yeah. I think um, – I think, and I'll come back to the word trauma again mm. because – even in societies where you have the collective who can support, um, trauma is avoid. Is one of the main trauma symptoms is avoidance right. and disconnection. 100%. So I think part of the problem is that when people have been through viol- experiences of violence, persecution, discrimination, it disconnects people yeah. from them ver- from their very self yeah. as well as from each other. So within families, people are disconnected. From within communities, people are disconnected. Um, And then as a society, we're all coexisting disconnected, you know, especially um, when there's been war or other other types of traumas. So I think in terms of coming then to another country where Mm. there was still a buffer because you had the collective, Mm. either the the faith, place of faith, or the neighbourhood, the village, square, when that's gone, of course people are going to deteriorate as well. Um, We have a framework at Foundation House, which is our trauma recovery guide, and what it does, again, with mental health is it's not a clinical framework of mental health. It's how do those traumatic experiences create a trauma reaction within an individual, a family and a community. Mm. And then recovery, what does that mean? Connection, that's that's one of our main recovery goals. Uh, restoring dignity, restoring connection, restoring meaning and purpose to life. So if you're disconnected from your space of faith and community, faith community, again, you're losing meaning, purpose, mm connection so I'm not sure if I've answered exactly but yeah there's isolation is is one of the uh key risk factors particularly Mm. for young people and some of the other questions will kind of I think tackle that about what to do Mm. well I guess before 
I'll let you ask the next one because I feel like I'm talking a lot. No. But um, before we go ahead with other stuff, you guys are mentioning trauma quite a bit. Yeah. What exactly, like, by definition is trauma? And then also, I guess, in terms of Foundation House, like, uh, wh- yeah, what do you guys do with that definition? Yeah. Then? yeah. Do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay. <laughs> Can I look at my notes? <laughs> uh, so what is trauma? Um Great podcasts out there, great Mm. foundation called Blue Knot Foundation. If you're actually really for young people who are interested in um, reading about it, uh, they are called the Blue Knot Foundation. They've got really good fact sheets. Um, So when people go through bad experiences, like I mentioned, persecution, violence, lack of safety, um, loss, Mm. um, traumatic events, Mm. that creates uh, a social and a psychological Uh, reaction within people and that then leads to things like anxiety, depression, um, loss of trust, shame and guilt. So trauma is the effect of those things. Trauma is not, we say traumatic events, Mm -hmm. but trauma is the impact of those things within someone. Um, And we like to, I guess, use the language of trauma symptoms Mm -hmm. and mental health symptoms rather than put someone in a box and diagnose them, you're this or you're that. So helping young people in in my work and in our work to really identify what is going on within you, um, everything from poor appetite to disrupted sleep to nightmares to intrusive symptoms, Mm -hmm. you know, you're seeing things, you're hearing things, Mm -hmm. you're vaguing out. The more I talk mm. to young people, it's called dissociation. Mm. There's so many people that don't know what dissociation is. No one's ever told them that word. And when their mind just disappears for a few seconds or minutes or longer and other people think they're disinterested yeah. or they're yeah. being rude yeah. and it's like, no, mm. they're actually not quite here at mm. that point. Mm. Um, so helping people understand how trauma impacts on the mind and, and body mm-hmm. because that's the other thing we've focused a lot in psychology about the mind mm-hmm. um, and now so there's a lot of somatic therapies yeah. where it's also about how does the body store trauma and remember mm. trauma. Yeah. So and, and then there's things we do really to help support Reduce symptoms, that's one of our main goals, is reducing those symptoms, but also building people's capacity. Mm. I think it's, yeah, just um, another thing I've been recently thinking about is that we talk about really significant adverse adverse events um, as being traumatic, but we don't talk enough about the things that that might actually, people might be disregarding or minimising within their own families or mm. their own context mm. and their own lives. Mm. Like, it's, it doesn't, the event doesn't have to be big. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be so significant. Yeah. It kind of goes back to what you were saying, Noor, before about, um, you know, is my problem big enough to go to yeah, a counsellor? Yeah, yeah. Is my trauma big enough? Then we start yeah. scaling and yeah. we, sh- we shouldn't do that yeah. because right. trauma can be anything. It's an adverse event and it's your body's interpretation of that event Mm. so that experience lives within you and it's so subjective so how someone else has experienced you both gone through the exact same scenario Mm. how they've experienced is is, might be different Mm. how they're presenting might be different how they're functioning every day might be different Mm. to how I'm functioning you know with the exact same thing so one one of the examples um, is something like um, financial difficulties if a family is experiencing financial financial difficulties what that child is hearing in the stories mm. between parents yeah. that we don't have enough or that there's money short or things mm. like that, 
That's mm. a traumatic experience. Yeah. It's financial right. trauma, yeah. you know, for that child, which then can have this impact yeah. of how that child might, you know, interpret the use of money, interpret mm. how they might yeah. work. Mm. All these, you know, it'll play out. Mm. Yeah. The other That's thing also, it's what you don't get. And I was just reading yeah. that recently. Yeah. That So thank you for yeah. reminding me that trauma isn't only what happens to you, but when your basic primary needs are and not met. met. Mm. So as an infant, and this is... And the more I talk about this with some of my young people who feel quite frustrated that their parents don't understand them or are not attuned to them emotionally, mm. well, we revisit what was happening to your parent when you were born, mm. yeah. what was mm. happening oh, yeah. when you were an infant. Mm. They were traumatised. They were trying to survive. So they were either dissociating mm -hmm. or they weren't available to meet your, to be attuned to your emotional mm. needs, which you then experienced as abandonment. Mm. Yes. So that's a trauma. Abandonment mm. in itself for yeah. an infant or yeah. a toddler is a trauma. Yeah. So there's so many fascinating kind of interesting things that are invisible. Mm -hmm. And when we start to put the pieces together, I think it helps people to really understand how that then makes them feel unsafe, how they feel um, unseen, unvalued. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's what trauma is, uh, a lack of safety and a lack of self kind of value. That's what it results mm. in. Yeah. The, when you guys were just speaking and I like the, you know, the last point that you guys brought up because I even just was reflecting on my own life and I was like, definitely growing up, um, I and you girls were touching on it as well, where it's like at home, I didn't have that safe space to, you know, tell my parents, I actually do feel abandoned because you hear that constant where it's like, you have a roof over your head, you're being fed, <laughs> yeah. you've got clothes we on your back. We did everything for yeah, you. We're doing yeah. everything for you. We're just not showing you what you want, you know, like yeah. why are you complaining for? So it's like when you're constantly hearing that, it kind of puts you in a spot where it's like, okay, my parents went through worse. You know, when I was born, they were in a war-torn country, yeah. you know, mm. they tried their hardest to yeah. try and bring me here. So why am I complaining? Like, what yeah. do I have to complain yeah. about, you know? I wasn't running in the streets with no shoes on yeah. or anything like that yeah. like I'm pretty good so it's like it's yeah it's pretty crazy that you bring that and I was even just saying in terms of that then um how do you now try and as a young person um go from a space of not being able to speak about those things because I think it's the comparison as well where it's like you're comparing your situation to what your parents um you know went through so it's like how do you now close that gap um and you know be able to have those conversations with your parents because mm. they to them it doesn't exist it's like you live mm. a great life you know yeah. you're happy you're healthy why are you complaining so it's mm. like how do I now bring about that conversation to someone who doesn't understand yeah. and just before you on that is it fair for your parents to go like, your life is better than mine, mm. so it is hard to see your life as <laughs> yeah. Yeah. not yeah, yeah. good mm. right now, you know? Mm. Oh, yes, sorry. Mm. Is it fair? Oh, I think I'm going to park that one. <laughs> I'm not. I'm going to be like, it's not fair. It's, I want you well, to answer that. No, I'm always aligned with young people yeah. because I think the older generation, I, th I understand though, it's what they do is they also, there's denial. Mm. It's very painful, I think, for parents and elders to see their own flaws and yeah. what they haven't mm. been able to do because they have done a lot and they've yeah. tried their best. And so I think it is about how do we take away shame and blame mm. um, um, mm. on both sides mm. yeah, where both children sides, aren't yeah. blaming parents and parents mm. aren't blaming right. children, yeah. but that we understand that trauma has impacted everyone mm. in different ways. Yeah. Um, that's kind of, yeah, mm. that's my thing and I just keep pushing yeah. that yeah. With, with, el with older yeah. people in communities. Yeah. But, but I think it's yeah, around please. how those needs are articulated as well, mm. right? right? Like when parents are 
communicating that. And I think as we can do that better as young adults. We yeah. can start to see that inner child in our parent as well. What are they actually trying yeah. to say? Or what, yeah. what's, like we can see their trauma or their, their, um, their grief or their loss um, when, they, when they say those things. So I think it can help kind of it's, it's not fair that, mm. that your subjective experience, I guess, isn't fair, but you can kind of still give space for, mm. um, yeah, but what's my parents saying here? Mm. What's right. the actual message? And that's where we can bridge, where we can all bridge the gap a little bit where yeah. if we start to understand them a little bit yeah. better, yeah. we can start to advocate for ourselves better. Yeah. Or at least that's what I did. I think when I started to understand my parents mm. better, mm. my whole how I talked about myself shifted yeah. because I could then go, oh, I totally get, you know, like this happened and mm-hmm. whatever. I know that was really hard for you. Like I can imagine, you know, whatever. I'll give an example and then go but, but back to me. Like mm-hmm. let's talk about me now, yeah. you know, and, and you can kind of do that and it really I feel like opens up. It can open up that door for conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it really varies in families. Yeah. I yeah. think, or, again, when you look at trauma, it can really damage families. We see family violence. <clears throat> we see a lot of conflict, um, both verbal and physical. So repair has to happen. And mm. I think if there's no repair, then these conversations aren't safe. Yeah. And Many people, again, are very disconnected. Yeah. So, you know, I've got a young man who is living with an older brother who's trying to be supportive. And he mm. says to me, why don't we even talk to each other? Mm. You know, mm. so they'll go home mm. and they don't mm. greet each other. Mm. So it's like we have to encourage um, connection right. at the really basic level right. and then we can move to these conversations, mm. um, yeah, which are more personal, more sensitive. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No, that's awesome. I was even going to just um, ask you girls as well because we went down to the event and it was actually yeah. amazing. Was where you guys yeah. run it, it was, like ran it, sorry. It was great. Um, you know, everyone really had the heart and you could just mm. see it as well. So I and it was run by like, a lot of young people too. Yeah. So for you guys, how are you guys, you know, bringing that conversation about, because I know you mentioned before, you never had that space to be able to, you know, speak and the community just wasn't there yeah. and it wasn't really a thing. So it's like, how are you bringing that in now? It's all you. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I guess bring our own experiences at home and things like that, like that, we really saw how important that was. And even kind of jumping off what they said about like, our, like the approach that we take with our parents as mm. well because even like personally for me like I can see the trauma that my parents haven't even dealt with so it's almost like I'm dealing with trauma that I grew up with but it's like how can I now expect them to understand when they haven't even dealt with theirs mm. so just kind of um I guess with the event um with Shoot to Shoot we mainly wanted to kind of bring because we invited families we invited like young people we invited their, their siblings as well like it was a whole community thing that we kind of wanted to bring about and with basketball we knew that like a lot of people in the community love the sport yeah. you know there was there have been tournaments before despite being shut down and things like that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like we knew that that was you know we could we could attract the community with that and yeah. so through that and through you know joining with foundation house having people from foundation house at the event things like that we were like we're creating a space where the conversation conversation can kind of like arise again whether it is with parents or young people or just yeah. like you know Sagali for example speaking on it at the towards the end like mm. the final like just kind of using that space we thought that um yeah it was really important just to push the conversation out again and obviously through mm. that we're going to continue to kind of like rally off what, you know the hype that we kind of had with the with the tournament yeah. and bring that into like schools now and things like that like future events a future tournament as well coming back That's November awesome. guys yeah. Yeah. so you already know it's gonna be it's gonna be live it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be bigger than than last year but um yeah kind of just using all that momentum 
and engaging more conversations and, and just like involving parents in that conversation as well mm. because parents also love seeing young people yeah. enjoy the sport. Like yeah. we saw so many families, you know, we had a dedicated section just for the parents um, <laughs> to see, you know, so they could, you know, see how important it was for young people to kind of interact with each other, mm -hmm. have that connection in the community mm -hmm. and just, yeah, kind of observe how much, how important mental health actually is or emotional well-being yeah. um, is for us as well, like as young people. And I guess, yeah, we got a lot of good feedback with mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. and yeah. essentially just kind of pushing that forward now as we go on with the other um, programs. Yeah. 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 Um, something to add is that I think Shoot or Shoot definitely does, sorry, I keep on hitting the table. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Shoot or Shoot really does want to initiate the conversation with, you know, um, the young people and their parents. Um, as Rada said, like when Sagai was talking briefly about our purpose, I think it does drive some people to have those conversations with their siblings at home. Um, now that we've starting a school program with kids, that's what we are really trying to push as well. Um, and also if someone is trying to have that conversation with their parent, I would hope everyone's parents, like their best interest is to look after us. So I think setting the tone and making it more um, natural and inviting similar to what you were saying um, would really, I don't know what I'm saying right now, but yeah, it would, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Job, I think yeah. it is something kind of special, especially I think with ethnic people is like, because mm. this doesn't get talked about at home, mm -hmm. it's kind of the, mm. to me, it's a very smart way. Like the way that Sigali set it up is like, bring your parents here one person talk to all of them at once yeah. hopefully they go away and go yeah these kids might be struggling you know yeah. maybe i should think about this stuff maybe i should have these conversations with them and then like for the kids kind of like hey, hopefully my parents clock something while yeah. they're here yeah. as well I, to me it's, it's a very smart way of going about it as well yeah def on. definitely because i feel like um i don't know do you guys think the conversation is had a lot or do you feel like it's not had enough I think it can there can never be enough yeah, conversation, yeah. Um, and I think that the, like we, we don't expect from that one event that they all went home and parents sat sat the kids at the table and were like, "Hey, let's talk about mental yeah. health." <laughs> like, I don't expect that to happen, yeah. but I think that it's just like the repetition, like because yeah. like I, I know my parents, for example, they're hearing about mental health more and more as well, yeah. like in the media, yeah. like, like with young people with school, like newsletters coming home, like it's just a topic more like it's coming out more often. Yeah. So I really feel like just with more like with the repetition and stuff, they can understand that you know this is our our children's mm -hmm. well-being like mm -hmm. this is young young people's well-being so hopefully that kind of sure. like continued conversation kind of um just i guess gives them more of an open mind because yeah. I, I know that it, for sure <laughs> i know that like <laughs> my bad. um yeah because i know that yeah one one one-off topics like one-off sorry events yeah. are not yeah. gonna really yeah. bring dramatic change but it's just like mm. continuing that continuing it yeah to briefly touch on that on that though um as i said like growing up mental health wasn't even a conversation mm. but i can definitely tell the difference now with my mom she's very engaged and you can tell that it's definitely changing yeah. the narrative yeah for sure i think it's interesting um sometimes if you kind of uh got relatives visiting and you listen to the oldies talking yeah and then you're like oh they have been listening yeah, yeah like, exactly they're talking yeah. about stuff in their own spaces yeah. yeah um but again like we said before we want to bridge those gaps and have yeah. those conversations together i had this beautiful experience of an uber driver who drove me here today 
Eritrean man, we spent the whole 35 minutes talking about these issues, you know. So I think we can all create spaces and um, have these conversations kind of everywhere and anywhere across those generations. And across generations, across genders, like we need to be having them like intersectionally. Yeah, exactly. Not young people Mm. to young people alone, but us with young people, us with older people, you know, and just bridging the gaps everywhere. Mm. Um, And I think we can never never have enough because there's still so much... Stigma, mm. and one of the stigmas I think um, we probably didn't mention before. I think is these concepts around like, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of associating with mental illness or mental um, health with like like being broken or unfixable yes. or these ideas that you know damaged, d- damaged. Yeah. these these ideas mm. that it's, there's no way out of it mm. and it's somewhat permanent. Yeah. Um, so I think. You know, people like mental health literacy, we've got a long way to go yeah. across right. communities because sure. we need to keep dismantling all of the stigmas mm-hmm. and all of the shame that we carry within our communities. Yeah, and the myths and the, you know, um, the misinformation that, keep, yeah. that exists yeah. around different mental health presentations. Right. Yeah. Uh, people don't have basic kind of physiology knowledge, brain development, mm. brain functioning mm. knowledge. Mm. Um, something you said, though, uh, Rodas, before was really beautiful um, around I think young people have more capacity mm. and courage to have these conversations yeah. with their elders who don't have that capacity. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that, that's where there is hope. Ahead. Yeah, definitely. There sure. definitely is hope. And I guess just to wrap it up for us, um, what do you guys hope the partnership between the two organisations will become? Um, ongoing. Oh, yeah. Funding yeah. is <laughs> our biggest nightmare. You know, yeah. if these amazing projects begin and funding stops yeah. and projects right. stop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's how to then make uh, projects sustainable. Yeah, Even okay. if that project comes to a close, how do you carry that work yeah. on mm. but still have the support you need and how do we then still have input mm. and not just go back to our old ways yeah. of, mm. you know, creating projects without the input of the young people yeah. themselves. Yeah. yeah, Foundation House has really put us on a pedestal and gave us resources, yeah. um, financial assistance, and we can't even imagine like going back, like mm-hmm. doing it without them. So, a hundred percent, it's ongoing for sure. Yeah. Just keep asking Paris for more. <laughs> 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 um. Well, like 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 she said, um, I think that we yeah we wouldn't have been able to come to where we were now because yeah. we had the ideas, we had the voice, yeah. you know, we had the representation. But we didn't really have, like, you know, the understanding of how we can actually go about this and everything yeah. like that. So they really gave us the tools that we needed and we appreciate it so much. Yeah, we have, honestly. We do have – we have future – we have a, a strong connection, I think, because we do have future things coming out. Yeah. You awesome. know, they've helped us with funding. They've helped us with how to kind of go about, like, all of our ideas into, like, the future projects mm. that we have left to go. So, um, yeah, I think it's a tie that cannot be broken. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. One quick one before we switch over to Daniel and Carlos. Um, do you two feel like you have any trauma from hearing so many traumatic stories then? Good mm. question. Uh, do, uh, look, I wouldn't say I have trauma, right. but I'm definitely triggered. Right. Mm. I think that in the work, um, the content is so sensitive mm. and so difficult. And when you're in this work because you want to feel for people, yeah. you mm. actually probably mm. have a you know natural ability to be, you know, empathetic and to mm. feel for people when you're in it for that reason. Mm. Yeah. So I think when you're a heart person going into the work, yeah. you're going to feel a lot. Yes. And then, sure. you know, you've got your own stuff, you've got your own childhood. We've all, mm. you know, got some sort of, you know. Something to deal with. 
I don't want to call it baggage. I hate yeah. that word. Yeah. But you've got stuff, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah. And so you got you're you're sitting in session often with your own stuff. Yeah. You know. And so it's like you've got to acknowledge that that stuff's there, mm. and it can just spike up like mm-hmm. with one disclosure from a client. And so it's really mm. part of the work I've done when I started when I was much younger was to have these conversations really openly with my supervisors yeah. and use supervision spaces really um, well, like talk about if mm-hmm. I'm being, you know, treated or the yeah. work's bringing up stuff for me because you have to keep working on yourself yeah. as, a, as sure. when you're a counselor. You have to keep doing that work along. Yeah. And you're trained. That's, I think yes. that's the difference. Right, right. When you're a friend trying yeah. to be a counsellor, yeah. <laughs> you don't have the supports around you. You also don't have the training. You don't yeah. also have an understanding of what boundaries are. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, mm-hmm. when you work in the field, you're trained for it, but you also have the support set up mm-hmm. in your agency. I think, though, with young people supporting friends who are really mm. either in crisis or who they can see are not doing well, I really suggest they bring in someone Mm -hmm. don't ever feel like you carry that on your own uh it is too much and it is too um too much of a responsibility to Mm -hmm. have kind of someone else's safety or risk in your own hands yeah Mm -hmm. definitely awesome Awesome. uh we're having too much fun here so (laughs) (laughs) we might let daniel and carl's get in on this episode real quick i was like when am i going to join the fun (laughs) (laughs) doing a tag team like we're playing wwe or something right now (laughs) but we're here we're here (laughs) No, honestly, you guys have been having some awesome conversations um, and some really interesting things of like, in, and like concepts and things have been coming out of, um, you know, all you guys have been talking about. And it really looks like this is a meaningful partnership, not just something for like for face, um, for people to just see this is another, like you mentioned, another great program, another great framework that comes around and then gets swept under the rug because, you know, the heart isn't really there behind it to keep mm-hmm. pushing. But yeah. I think in line with that, it'll be interesting to hear like what has happened so far with like the funding or the support that you guys have received from... Um, because it was 16 in total, yeah? You mentioned 16,000? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, sorry, what was the question? Yeah, what, what have you guys been able to essentially like, do so far with the um, With the money? Yeah, with the money at this point, yeah. Um, we were really brainstorming on what we should do. Um, one of our options were to give people a free therapy session. Um, however, we wasn't sure if we were able to cater to everyone. So we were like, I think young people really need to be looked after and we're like, all right, let's just do a school program. Um, Let's just try to target as many schools as we can throughout Melbourne. Um, We're currently doing two at the moment in the West side. And this is a part of it. So we are also doing a social media campaign. We're trying to um, spread the word about mental health, um, getting the information and advice out there through the podcast, um, reinvest into the ecosystem and to you guys as well. Um, we've also selected a few artists, creatives to do their own thing and, you know, we'll all post them very soon. Um, yeah, yeah it's pretty much reinvesting. Yeah, somewhat yeah. like providing the platform for it, um, just over what you are saying. And then also in the future, we do, like I said before, have the tournament coming up again. So kind of like doing smaller events leading up to like the big tournament in November. So kind of, yeah, our money kind of reinvested back into the community and yeah. into like focusing on, you know, young people and how we can best address, you know, mental health through these different basketball, sport like or creative, I guess, um, platforms, yeah. Our main thing was to um, make the information accessible as possible. So we thought podcast was the main thing as well. Yeah. Um, I hope they all didn't care that this guy's stomach. I, I, I'm, I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I like it. Thank I you guys for the muffins. Well, <laughs> I've been eating in the background. Um, yeah, I was also gonna, going to say... Like being educated in mental health 
makes it such a difference in terms of how we approach it, mm-hmm. not just with ourselves, but also with our friends as well. Because I had the wrong, I, I realized I had the wrong approach, you know, when my friends around me were suffering. Um, I thought I could do it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I started to educate myself a little bit more in terms of how can I actually help the people around me, right? I want you guys to talk a little bit more about yeah. how do we help those people. Yeah, beautiful. Do you want to say? Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, I think one of, one of the reasons sometimes young people might jump into um, wanting to help straight away, aside from wanting to obviously help their friend, is it can sometimes be... A byproduct of intergenerational trauma in itself that sometimes we've developed coping strategies to step in. You know, we've become a little bit like the carer in the family, or the you know, we've been a bit parentified. We've taken, we've got an over-endowed sense of responsibility and worry for others. And so, when a friend's in crisis, often we might want to go in and jump in and help out. So sometimes it's just really helpful to just check in. Like, am I helping because I'm anxious? Am I kind of over overreacting? You know, um, to the problem and and just pause maybe and kind of thinking okay like what you know is it about me if it's not you know acknowledging what's going on within you and then asking I think your friend you know what would be helpful for you I think it's always like we talk in in our work we talk a lot around being client-centered asking our clients you know what their needs are and what would be helpful for them I think we have to do that with each other in our personal relationships whether it's our partner whether it's our friend you know like yeah, what, what do you need from me right now? What would be helpful? Would it be helpful to take you to a doctor's appointment? Right. Would it be helpful yeah. to, you know, th- those kind of things. And they might just need you to be that silent and company um, buddy, you know. Um. Yeah, it's exactly what I was thinking about the checking in. I mean, isolation is what happens. You know, people mm. shut down and mm. they isolate um, and that's where the risk is even greater. So just constant checking in, checking whether in. it's a message, a call, uh, even if they don't respond and then again not taking that personally and creating that. drama out of that, but just um, making sure, you know, that you check in. I think if you're really worried about someone, it's really about being transparent with them and saying, you know, I I need to keep you safe. You know, I think if it gets to that point where we think our our friends are suicidal or they're self-harming, that like we would do with a client, we would say, I want to do something to help keep you safe. How about we go to emergency together or to your GP? Or I guess I think about where is a safe place or a safe person? So if they're at school, is there someone at school? Is there a teacher? If they're at uni, the same. Uh, If not, is it the GP? Um, If not, emergency. You know, that you basically go with them, like Pauline was saying, um, or you just share info that you just send them a text that says here's the lifeline number or here's um, suicide callback number. There's a lot of resources online. And, again, it's just a reminder, but the message there is I care about you, I'm worried about you, but I'm also giving you choice. You know, I'm not forcing you. Um, if the risk is imminent, you do have to make that decision about whether you will um, act even if they're asking you not to. And I ha- we have to do that yeah. sometimes with our clients, but we will say, I'm going to call the ambulance or I'm going mm. to call so-and-so, uh, your family member, because I am worried about what might happen to you tonight or on the weekend. Mm. Yeah, That's so powerful. I, I really like that. What do you need? You know, it's questions that we don't ask young people. I also like what you said um, in terms of, Let's go together. Let's yeah, do this together. Yeah. You know, th- those could really, really make a difference. Yeah, I'll drive you, know. you, you know. Uh, yeah, jump in the car 100%. with me or let's jump mm. on the train and yeah. go down. And yeah. the key is to stay connected. 100%. Like Christine said, like isolation, it's, yeah, 
it just keeps increasing risk. So staying connected, texting, it's so important to, for them to just know. So if it's going to take a day or two days for them to come out and reconnect with you, you know, that's, that relationship is so important. I think the hardest thing uh, which many people have lost friends and, and family and loved ones to suicide um, is they're not blaming the self. We can mm. never... If someone has made that choice and decision, often they don't tell anyone. Mm. There aren't indications sometimes. So it's the most painful, I think, and traumatic um, mm. loss that people experience. But we also have to be careful not to then blame families, friends, yeah. um, because, yeah, people have agency over their life and mm. to choose to live or die. We just do everything we can to keep connected and to bring in resources. So again, don't ever hold that on your own. Even if you need to call a professional and say, or call one of these helplines and say, mm. I have a friend who's in this situation, what would you suggest? Yeah. Like we do secondary yeah. consultations all yeah. the time, calling and, and finding out what, don't hold it on your own, don't it's too it much. Own, yeah, yeah. I, th I think sometimes we forget that we can just actually pick up the right. phone and call and say, right. hey, what can I actually do? Yeah, You know, there is a lot of resources available there. I think a question coming in line with that then as well, is um, at what point because we do take a lot of things on um, for other people as well yeah. um, when mm. we do become that shoulder we do yeah. become that kind of soundboard that people can bounce just what they're feeling off yes. right at yeah. what point do we now like have to also now kind of like look after ourselves, or where do you yeah uh, how do you balance health. being able to look after your own emotional well-being your own mental health as well as now being that person for someone else at yeah. the same time Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. 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 <laughs> <laughs> For ourselves. All boundaries. Yeah, like yeah. we're teaching or we're trying yeah. to help guide and teach our young clients, but we are constantly Constant. checking our own boundaries. Yeah. I think something that was said before, I think, Pam, when you said you have to know your own capacity. Yeah. If you're struggling with your own things, you're not going to be the best person um, to be doing that support. Bring in someone else. Um, in terms of if you are pretty resourceful and things are going okay for you, again, do it, but bring in someone else, you know, mm. share it. Um, what is it about the village? It takes a village to, to raise a child. It takes a village to look after a person as well. So um, always multiply the support, bring in other people. Mm. That then helps you maintain a boundary because you don't have to be the everything for everyone. Um, set actual time limits and, and your private time versus even your sense of community time or friend mm. time. Time when you're not available mm. to other people, where you literally mm. are not giving. Because I imagine everyone in this room is a giver <laughs> and a nurturer <laughs> and a carer. And so it's like, all right, so when are you not available? Yeah. Yeah. You, you have think, to yeah. build that into your, your yeah. weekly routine. And boundaries are harder now, I think. Boundaries are harder in so many ways yeah. with, you know, social media and we're connected in so many ways yet also disconnected in a lot of ways you know so you're kind of like texting people you know and then they might disclose something through a dm or whatever and you're just like holding that weight and the depth of that oh is this person going to be all right tonight because they've just texted me and they're lying in bed are they you know going to harm themselves they're going to hurt themselves all this sort of stuff so i think having good solid practical boundaries for young young people like not even um, like like just setting boundaries around use of social media, what you're consuming, not just the food we're consuming, but like how much we engage with social media, how much we text. Like Christine was saying, just the practical boundaries around all of that stuff. And our own practices. We have to do mindfulness. We have to have our outlets. So whether mm. it's gym um, or 
dancing, you know, Jim's going out on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, you know, for me it's reggae. That's where I lose right. myself, you know. It's that's my thing. So right, we all yeah. have to have our escape. Um, unfortunately, we see people having other escapes mm. that further add to the trauma and the mental health problems. We need to be um, conscious of that, and and mm. everyone has addictions. We yes. all have them mm. in different shapes or forms. We just have to manage them and balance them then with some good practices. Mm. And there's a lot of ideas now around like self-care. We throw it around like we should care for ourselves. And there's, Have a like, bath. Yeah, like <laughs> it's just like to marshalize <laughs> ideas of what self-care looks like. But um, we need to take it up a notch and think about, you know, self-compassion. And there's a lot of yes. research around that as well. And it's about tuning into the self. So not just doing the practical things. Before we develop the capacity for actually going and taking that bath and going getting ourselves yeah. to the gym, it's like actually we have to do the self-compassion part first, feeling within ourselves, what's going on here, what's going on for me, um, where am I at, what's my capacity like today, As, has my friend's problem really, you know, exhausted me or am I really carrying ex- excess worry mm-hmm. and then thinking or am I carrying negative self-talk um, and then kind of responding to yourself mm-hmm. and th- just asking yourself the question, would I say this to my friend? Would yeah. I say the stuff I'm saying to myself? Like that whole idea of when you say, just push yourself some more, just do more. Or, you know, like just kind of we blur our own boundaries sometimes yeah. but by, you know, giving more to others and exhausting ourselves. So self-compassion, I yeah. think, is, yeah. is such a – if we can learn more about it and start practising it. And the spiritual self, I think people of faith have that um, and that's a, a, such a um, source of self you know, uh, looking after the self yeah. through connecting um, with your faith and, and finding strength there. But not everyone has that or that's mm. also been damaged mm. um, from their experiences or their trauma. So seeing the self as multidimensional in all mm. aspects of the self, the body, the mind and the spirit or heart, soul. Mm. Yeah. It was very interesting something that um, was mentioned in terms of like social media nowadays or and how that's like drastically changed the landscape of being able to deal with yeah. a lot of... Um, emotional issues, emotional problems, right? Because when we talk about boundaries and how a lot of things are getting blurred and how um, you're aware of just everything that's going on in everyone's life, essentially, Mm. how do you also now kind of navigate that space where you can kind of see some things that are a little bit alarming? um, And, yeah, how do you kind of intervene when it's not necessarily someone coming to you and it's something that you're seeing that is potentially alarming? And maybe if you guys want to talk from any experiences potentially as well, but also, yeah, what kind of like... um, Guidelines or advice do you guys have given that kind of <laughs> Social media queen here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially, like, yeah, how do you intervene when you can see something really? Yeah. I think one of the things that I've – one of the examples I can give is young people coming to me saying they're worried about friends because they've seen their, them post something yep. really, you know, that um, just an expression of their uh, real low mood or distress – um, or a high level of distress that they're, you know, worried about about them. And I've always gone back to you have to step, you have to get some help from other people in that, in that instance where you're worried. You have to alert someone else either at school. Like if you're worried about another student, you have to alert an adult. Um, like, and you're still protecting yourself. But I think it's, it is harder with, with young people as well because they want to, like, not disclose yeah. to teachers and... Um, but I, I think you absolutely have to to protect yourself because otherwise you're just sitting there consuming 
all the things. Like for example, for what my one of the ways I protect myself um, personally is because I've survived war myself and my family have gone through a lot of difficulties. I don't sit late at night anymore and um, watch war footage. Mm. I don't the like news the, the news, news, but yeah. also just social media accounts that are um, that are campaigns for mm. you know helping the poor people, helping refugees, and and you, before you know yeah. it, you're seeing really traumatic material. Yeah. You know, you're just scrolling, and so that kind of um, I think mindful consumption is important, and that. Because it's so easy to just mindlessly scroll and you're triggered. Mm. So so one of the ways I protect myself is to to know my triggers, know what. Like I don't want to watch war stuff at 1 o'clock in the morning, you know. Mm. Um, and also I think not to intervene all the time. I mm. think you have to give yourself permission not to. to. Yeah. Um, if someone invites you in to support them as well or um, to guide them, then you do. I think it's easy if you care a lot to want to then um, – intervene a lot, mm. you know, whether it's on social media or in real life. Um, if the invitation's not there or the openness mm. is not there, you'll get resistance and then you'll you'll have a lot of other dramas to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I think um, for me it's always will this comment, if I respond to something, is it going to be um, wanted or is there openness in, in these people or whoever it is to then receive what I have to offer or not. And sometimes you know that it's not really and you're, yeah. it's driven by your need, which was what you say, were saying earlier. Whose need are you trying to meet? Mm. So sometimes you just have to not do step back, observe. That's actually so true. We don't always have to intervene. Right. You know, sometimes it's like I hope someone, you know, can do something about this. Right. Um, yeah, it's hard as a caring person. It's, you know, there's a lot absolutely. of people, good people out there that, you know, they want to stop or prevent anything from happening, right? right? Just quickly going back to the self-care and doing the things that we love, what are some more practical things that people can do, yeah. um, you know, to improve how they feel? Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, quickly as well. It would be nice to also hear what personal... Um, yeah, uh, if you guys are nervous. Yeah, if there's anything that you I, I'll start off. I, I normally get a massage, you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean? I, I love, Talk about the nails. <laughs> like, I get nails done. I get, like, on my day off, I, I literally... Oh, it's back today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. Wrong part of the season. Nah, <laughs> 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 the podcast. <laughs> For me, that's all. I, like, I'm all about self-care, you know, looking after yourself, looking after your body, you know, yeah. exercise, all those things, right? I guess you guys can also add more to the list. Uh, but, yeah, I would love to hear some answers um sorry just going back a little bit yeah Yeah. just to like how you guys were talking about um like boundaries and also just like knowing when to intervene because I know personally like I am a giver like you said I'm an empath or all those you know all those terms that we use nowadays um (laughs) but like and that's something that I struggled with can I ask questions yeah I just know like what do you do like when you know you have been invited into that space, you know, where someone wants you to intervene. Like, they're, they're letting out how they feel, their situation. But it's like you do then offer because you realise you don't have the capacity to actually deal with the situation yeah. properly. And it's like, you know, you offer them counselling or therapy and you do offer them a ride, right. you know, to the hospital. But it's like they completely, like, just refuse to do any of those things. But yet they're still kind of, like, wanting you there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. what do you do then? Because, like, that's like – I feel like that's, I've been, been in multiple um, positions where I'm just like, okay – like, I feel like I've exhausted all options now. Like, what next? Because, yeah. like, I still want to help. But, like, clearly, like, I'm not really helping the way that, like, oh, I guess as 
much as I probably should be or want to be. It's like, a yeah, great like it's not really question. effective. You're doing all the work, yeah, and they're really. not participating. Mm. We can only help people if they're um, participating in that process. So I can't help young people unless they're we're working in partnership. Mm. It's a collaboration, yeah. and it's even that with your friends. They again, mm. sometimes you don't have to name it. You have to be like, I'm really trying to help you here, yeah. but you're not meeting me halfway, or like I don't, I can't do any more than I've done. I need you to do this with me mm. so we can, you know help you through this um and if they're not willing to you actually have to back out because sometimes people are always <laughs> going to do that mm. they're going to be reeling you in and they're going to be yeah. getting you to do all the work you're going to be carrying it they might get some relief from that mm. right mm. but you're left with that heaviness and that responsibility mm. it's very hard mm. it and gets easier mm. when you get older for all of you there's something magical that happens when you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s so um absolutely it gets a bit easier but it's tough and sometimes you'll lose friendships mm. because mm. those people are not really willing to do their part in it um and we have different personalities and, and trauma really, especially early uh, childhood trauma, creates personality traits. Mm -hmm. And you will know certain people in your lives that have these personality traits that are really difficult to deal with. They're manipulative, they're demanding, it's really hard. They need really some professional support to help them understand how that impacts all aspects of their lives. And as a friend, uh, you just have to be aware of it and have your boundaries real tight. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say, I guess yes. it goes back to, like, boundaries because, like, that's something that I've really been, like, trying to uphold in my life personally, my friends, family and everyone and just, like, seeing the importance of that because, like, going back to, like, self-care then because I'm, like, how can I really care for yes. myself if I don't have those boundaries yeah. out? Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's really good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah no, I thanks think for also, um, I think becoming okay with, with um, the idea that friendships and connections do rupture. Yes. that there will be Beautiful. ruptures in your relationships when you set boundaries mm. and people, you know, there will also be repairs mm. and sometimes it just, it, it is hard for people to receive your boundaries. That's the yeah. other thing, mm. that whilst you're doing the boundary work and someone else isn't, they, they're not, they, they don't want your boundaries. Because they want to take, they want to take more from you. Yeah. So it's like exactly. it, they're going to take it hard and there might be a rupture. But you just have to be your kind, warm self and say, I'm setting this boundary with you because I'm, do, you know, I'm doing this for me. And it might be hard for you to receive this boundary. It might be hard for me to for hear these, for you to hear these words, mm -hmm. but I'm doing them for this reason. And that can sometimes be enough to kind of, you know, leave with a friend and that friend might go, hey, you know what? I was thinking about what you said the other day and you know, maybe I did ask for too much. Maybe I didn't, you know, step up and do the work with you. You know, you were carrying me quite a lot, you know. Mm, yeah. So it might just take a bit of time for them to reflect. Not mm. everyone reflects, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you'll, and, and some will not be repaired and that's just, yeah. you know, you outgrow people. Okay. Yeah. You have to sometimes allow those relationships to organically kind of end or to you know, not be able to be repaired. But, again, like you said, you yeah. try. Um, just I think communication. I think, again, we these things happen really subtly in friendships but we don't name them. We're scared to name them. Yeah. So I think just putting words mm. to what you're feeling words, yeah. when that person's doing that. This is making me feel really depleted or really um, helpless and hopeless. Like I can't help you change but I realise it's because I feel like I'm doing this stuff and you're not responding. Mm. You know, just bring words to it if you can. Yeah. You guys really highlighted like just how um, multifaceted all of this is and you can't like uh, blanket, um, yeah. generalise just how you deal with these things because yeah. what you mentioned in terms of how like 
Um, certain people, because of the trauma they faced, it really does now start to dictate how their personality is shaped and formed, especially yes. in very formative years. Yeah. Mm. And how we perceive that in terms of how they're acting in some certain situations, they don't realize that it's actually an opportunity to, um, to kind of like, just to essentially see that this is someone that's dealing with something. We, we kind of really just look at it like, okay, this is just how they are. Yeah. And this is not something that we need to step into. That's just someone that doesn't need any help or doesn't want any help without realizing like it's a cry for help right. that that person also probably doesn't even realize that they yeah. that they have as all. And it just yeah. really shows that, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, um, it's a complex matter, but it does boil down to very simple human kind of like right. actions in terms of being that reach out or taking time to understand people. Mm -hmm. And, it kind of made me realize like the education around just um, being able to pinpoint what something is or, or what uh, where something is coming from. It's it's really needed in, in the community. It's really need, uh, needed in, in like individualized in, in schools and things like that as well. Like because it is it's 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 deep essentially. Like why you know? are we teaching psychology? Why isn't psychology and human behavior a subject for every high school mm. student? Yeah. What the hell do we need maths for? <laughs> All the mathematicians right. listening. Right. Are. No, no, no. That's actually but, so but why aren't we, right? why aren't we empowering people to understand yeah. their own self and the people around them? Mm. It's craziness. I remember, um, yeah. In, yeah, sorry, yeah no, on. but also what you're saying about where it comes from and how even those really um, difficult behaviours people have were at one point protective for them mm. when they were going through their trauma. So compassion, you said the word compassion, and I think if we can stay in a place of compassion and curiosity, even those friends or family members who really push our buttons to be like, all right, maybe this was what they had to do to survive something, but it's not working right now. So then it gives you a bit of compassion to then not react or respond mm. in a in a more problematic way, but also then to see if there's a way that it could be mm. ad addressed or changed. And that it's helpful for them, but it and acknowledge that that acknowledge that that's how they that that's what's working for them. Mm. But that it's not helpful for me. So mm. that's where it the start of that boundary mm. work can happen mm. where you kind of see Beautiful. the behaviour, acknowledge that it's a protective mechanism for that person and it's working for them. It's sustaining them in life and their relationships but it's just not working in the dynamic between mm. you two and yeah. it's not, you know, working for you personally. So, okay, let's the, start, yeah, you know, boundary. putting up. Yeah. yeah, and so that's when you can kind of start doing that work. Yeah, and what if it's it, not serving you, then you can serving. be like, give yourself permission, I can step back from this relationship, yeah. a bit of distance. It, you may not break the friendship, but you may see them a bit less often. You may not drive them every time or everywhere, yeah. you know, that you start to then create that because it doesn't serve you. And we can only serve others if we do really um, do that and, and serve ourselves first. And then we have capacity to serve others in the community. Mm. Yeah. I promise we do want to hear what your self-care um, and, and what you guys do for <laughs> when it comes to looking after yourselves. But interesting things like keep popping up. Um, I did hear that exact um, like concept or, or um, understanding once as well, like how our brain is so like flexible and able to cope with like adversity in different situations and we don't realize that it's a protective mechanism sometimes but that doesn't mm. mean that that is something that should be like continued yes. in another setting or another yeah, situation yeah, in life yeah. like mm -hmm. we still live with the same kind of mentalities that you did mention yeah. yet did want to protect us or frame yeah. us um in a certain situation but it doesn't mean it's conducive for another point in time in life yeah, and things right. like that so yeah, yeah. being able to understand that and see that in friends is, is very important as well mm. but all right now we do want to hear <laughs> what are some like yeah practical Nails. things <laughs> Yeah, what are some practical things that people can do yeah. to 
be able to be there for someone but still be able to look after themselves at the same time. Yeah, I think going back to that point I made before about uh, trauma disconnects us from ourselves and our bodies, mm. um, just mindfulness practices. So that'll be different for everyone. Um, attunement to your environment because we're not uh, – how many people walk down the street but never look at the clouds or the sky or the flowers or the birds, right? We're, we're not attuned to the beauty in our environment, mm. in nature. So attunement to the environment, movement, so sport, exercise, dance, yoga, stretching, um, again, brings us back to the present. Um, there are all these practices we call grounding practices, bring people back to their centre, to their core, to the present moment. Um, they're really important uh, in terms of that, yeah, what daily practices Um and again, some things don't work for some people. I cannot do breathing meditation. You know, that just doesn't – can't do it. Yeah. But get me on a dance floor and I zone out. Say no right? So yeah. there's – so that's, medita that's meditation yeah. for me. Mm. Um, so everyone has to find their own. One young man said to me, I don't feel joy anywhere. Why don't I feel mm. joy or pleasure? Mm. So my work with him now is trying to really break it down and help him be attuned to what does the taste of that chocolate bar feel like for you what the only place he feels happy on the basketball court mm. that's the only place you know has lots of childhood trauma sediment difficulties um but it's trying to help people find those places and spaces and moments of joy expand it so we have to do that for ourselves but they're the daily kind of things that i encourage young people to do that's therapy Talking mm. is a, is coming to counselling or, or talking to a professional is about facilitating your own process of healing and recovery. So we'll give them ideas, we'll help them make sense, build awareness, but then the practices have to happen on your own mm. the minute you walk out of that counselling room. Mm. Anyone else? Any other? Um, yeah. yeah, I think all of those. All of, those, all of the above. All of the above. <laughs> but I think it's, yeah... Um, I know I've, I've mentioned triggers, but anything that – like getting to know ourselves better. I think one of the best things we can do is to really learn mm. the things that actually upset us, trigger us, yeah. bring fear in us, mm. worry, you know, what, what's, what those things are. Because for some of us, we haven't learnt that as kids, mm. um, especially with around – parents that might have been traumatised and that intergenerational trauma impacting the next generation, you might not have had a caregiver, you know, model that to you and co-regulate with you, which yes. is to, you know, teach you how to kind of calm down when you're really heightened or when you're feeling fear or when you're anxious. And so I think the best form of self-care is to learn more about our bodies. I... It took me a long time. I had a, a intuition for a long, long time. I was very intuitive. I would be like my body would react to things. I'd be like, oh, that feels like mm. odd or that conversation wasn't comfortable. It took me into my 20s, mm. early 20s where I was like, oh, that's my intuition and it always kicks in and I just don't listen to it. And it was through conversations and reading more about it that it was like, oh, actually the the best work I ever did was to, re, you know, tune into my own intuition. Mm. So I think the more we get mm. to know ourselves, we'll understand what heightens us, what actually brings out that fear yeah. and that fight flight response in us if we've mm. had trauma um, or we've had parents with trauma, and then what do we need to come down from yeah. that state? And it looks different for all of us. And for some people, it's not safe to get into their body and do that breathing mm. yet. It might be something that's removed mm. from the body for a while until they, you know, like you just got to try the different things, but you know. Um, 
yeah, my, my dad would escape into his music. He'd either listen to it or we'd play it mm-hmm. and he would just zone out. And I think without realising, he modelled that there was a coping mechanism yeah. that was so healthy and so beautiful mm-hmm. and I didn't really click at the time and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, actually, you know, all these late years later I'm noticing, oh, like he just knew himself that well mm-hmm. and if we could all kind of, you know, get to know ourselves better, self-care would look different for yeah, everyone. For sure. yeah. And self-care is self-soothing. It's it self-soothing. is about how do we soothe it really the, the distress, the internal the distress, internal distress, both at the mind and body level because that's where, again, trauma is remembered in the body and there's mm-hmm. a lot of books that write about that. And so even if you think, well, I'm not, I'm not stressed, your body, like if you're doing this, like my dad who's 83 and, you know, has his own trauma from, from those early years, he just – and it's like that's still in your body mm-hmm. 83 years on. And why do you have an uzo every night, you know, a little, <laughs> a little glass of uzo? every night every day right that's self-medication um so it's just being aware of the body and and finding healthy ways to self-soothe 100 percent. do you guys have anything to add to that list um i know for sure my faith helps me Mm -hmm. um could you speak to that more i'd love to hear my faith a bit more about how faith yeah yeah, how faith Um, gives you strength just touching on what you said i feel like recently i've just been you know evaluating, um, analysing my reactions to certain situations. And so right now I'm focused on really practising the fruits of the spirit. So I really want to delve into that and try to practise that every day, which is like love, patience. Patience is a very big one. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, that's really been helpful. Letting my problems all up to God and he'll take care of that. I know that for sure. Um, one thing that I do find important is taking advantage of the day. So I feel like when I used to have like borderline insomnia, insomnia sorry, um, my thought process was a bit different um, during the night. It felt a little bit too dark and I know that when I'm out and about during the day in the morning, appreciating nature especially um, and always showing gratitude always helps for me. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, myself as well, my faith, um, kind of just trusting in God and like realising, you know, sometimes I'm someone who likes to just know how things are going to go. You know what I mean? Like I'm just I'm such a planner, like i got a diary, I've got a calendar, I do this, like, like I know how things are going to go. So it's like when things don't go off, like kind of go off the path mm. that I think it's going to go, I'm just like, damn, like what? Like that's I kind of get stressed right. um, through that, but like kind of just trusting that God like, like trusting God's plan for my life and just I may not know how things are going to go, but just knowing that, you know, he has, like, set a plan for me. So, like, yeah, that's how kind of my faith plays into it. Um, I also like to journal a lot. I just – a lot of things happening mm. in my mind. So um, whether it's the start of the day or at night, just kind of, like, letting that all out. And I always find, like, after I do that, like, after I kind of just, like, a brain dump pretty much, um, I just feel some more, like, just relax and everything. I just light a candle – Got some instrumental jazz playing in the background and just writing it out. Like, that always helps me. Um, Also going to the beach, especially Mm. during lockdown, that helped me so Mm. much. Like, because lockdown was just, whew. (laughs) 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 Like, that was just a whole thing. So that, like, leaving my room, which became, like, my study area, you know, my workplace, like, everything. Um, Just leaving that space and just going, just watching the waves, listening to music, walking on the sand. Like, that was just really soothing. And I guess grounding myself, kind of how you said, like, just really noticing the waves, noticing like the clouds. I'm a sunset babe, so I was just watching that. <laughs> you know, it was good. Yeah, just kind of taking in the nature and like what I guess what God has created really. Um, 
Yes, that really helps me as well. You go to the beach in winter as well? Or? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was rugged up. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Go to the beach with a coat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Locals from the balcony are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't just me. It was a few couple people too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, but you too? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> nah, no, that's, that's pretty awesome. Good. Yeah, I think for me, definitely, it's something that's kind of grounded me in those kind of situations as well. But I guess for in a practical sense, it's allowing me to kind of look at things in a like um, higher level kind of view in terms of um, move, removing myself from like having my situations and problems right in front of me to like, all right, let's try to get some kind of a bird's eye view look on what is really going on. How much is this impacting other things that I'm, you know, not paying attention to because I'm too busy looking at this situation right in front of me or like, okay, in the long run, how much do I really believe this is going to impact X, Y, Z? Am I overreacting? Am I underreacting? All those kind of things in that. And like, I think when I really take that kind of high level view, it really does bring me back into the situation in a different kind of um, perspective or different kind of understanding in that kind of sense. So, yeah, it is, it's interesting to hear how people, you know, right, look at things in different skills. ways. Like, again, mm. they're the kinds of skills we teach young people mm. through CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, or, you know, there's all sorts of things which you do probably intuitively yeah. or you've learnt to do. So I think that's the other thing that um, people already do a lot that they mm. don't realise are um, skills. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of young people that don't even know to do that, to distance themselves from the problem and get a different, a different perspective mm. or bring in other perspectives. So I think that's the thing. There's a lot of skills um, that you all have that, again, you can share with each other. Because when you have these conversations, someone else will be like, oh, all right, yeah. I'll, I could do that or I might do that next time. Mm. 100%. And I think as a friend, it's also our job to point out to that as well. Sometimes, you know, this guy's good at something, but he doesn't notice it. You right. know, he's just so used to doing it. Right. I have to point out and say, bro, you're actually really good at this. Right? Yeah. So I Beautiful. feel like that, that 100%, yeah. Um, I want to dive a little bit more into the resources that's available. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was also going to say, like, a lot of like these are the skills we teach. These are the yeah. things which I'm like, okay, we're hearing about all these different things. <laughs> yeah. How do we How yeah, do you, get where to Where do that? we yeah. find them? Right. You want me to go? Do you want yeah. So in terms of, I guess, um, referrals, so I'll start with that. If people actually do want to speak with someone, again, like I said, start with a safe personal place. Um, a lot of young people don't have a good GP, unfortunately, yeah. but a GP is a good point of uh, a starting point uh, to get a mental health care plan, which then allows them to access um, counselling in the public system. Um, there are a lot of different services for different subgroups as well. So Foundation House, uh, as mentioned, is for people of refugee and asylum seeker backgrounds. Mm -hmm. We can't work with other migrant groups. That's just our funding. That's our core, right. our core business. Mm -hmm. um, it's a free service. Um, for other services, there are lots of free services, um, Headspace, other community, local community health centres, mental health services. Um, I think the, the starting point should just be to ask one of them. Like if we, if someone comes to Foundation House, they'll go through an intake. Um, if we're not the right service for them, we will link them to the right service. Um, and I think that's what other services would also do. Um, in terms of online as well, though, platforms mm. now, um, Headspace and others have got a lot of information uh, online for Kids young people. Line. Kids Helpline, Lifeline, like we mentioned, um, where you else? Blue Knot. 
Blue Knot Foundation, uh, and I think we are going to provide a list okay, yeah, which cool. we yeah. will then forward to you guys, cool. which you can then post um, at some point. I think we're doing yeah. that together. Um, Sometimes it's helpful to just get familiar with your local council. So just, you know, like we're in the city of Greater Dandenong, so yeah. just on that website there's youth services and it's a good starting point for youth to even see what what's available mm. to them, mm. whether it's, you know, social groups or individual support, you can kind of see a list of things and at least it, it's a more gentle way of kind of just seeing what's out there without committing or without yeah. jumping into mm. it. So that might be a way of even passing that information on to friends, just some links or mm. social media accounts from Kids Helpline and Lifeline and things like that where they can just look up some key information about, you know, symptoms or um, that sort of stuff. And all these programs, you know, any yeah. kind of program that is for young people, again, is going to improve mental health. So if, some, you know, someone's interested in music, like whenever we hear about those programs, we just send those, you know, email or a link, um, art programs, uh, whatever people. I think it's about also, again, seeing it as well-being that mm. it's not just mental mm. health? How mm. can we um, just encourage people to participate uh, and find whatever environment or activity is going to work for them? Mm. Mm. I know we we'll probably have to wrap it up soon, but I do have one last question. Um, can you talk a little bit about the success uh, with Afric Afri uh, not African, sorry, Afghan community that you've been working with? Mm. Um, our program, we developed the program in August. So, um, last, just, yeah, August okay, last yeah. year. So, as the crisis happened in Afghanistan, uh, to date, there have been like 2000, more than 2,000 people who've been evacuated. Mm. So, we, our agency um, got the funding from mm. the government and we um, developed a program to respond to those needs. And so, I think um, success wise, we've had. I don't have the figures on me, but we've run so many groups. Um, we've started, so one of the things we did was to um, develop information sessions around what our service does, what men mental health might look like or emotional wellbeing might look like, you know, just for people to even acknowledge or notice what might be happening for them and to normalise that experience that on arrival, you know, you're on survival. You're like, uh, like I've just lost my job, my house, my everything might have left half my family mm. there. And so you're just in survival mode, but alongside it you are going to experience some of those, you know, ruminations and worries and all these things that are symptoms of trauma and so we just provided these information sessions to for people to just start, start checking in with themselves and it was a really nice warm way for people to um, understand that the service exists because they might not have had it back home or they might not have even seen a support service like that back home and then they would be um, then we would come in as one of our counsellors we would talk about you know what the individual counselling might look like and so they we had lots of people self-refer at the moment, we've got another um, group with our community project workers. They're doing an Afghan wellbeing group that's in partnership with another agency in the southeast. So they're doing um, women's uh, wellbeing. So they're talking about all sorts of key ideas, and they've got themes every different themes every session. We've got um, we've successfully run a program for um, getting your learners. Licence, so our community project workers were delivering the information in the book all in 
Dari in their oh, first yeah. language. So um, out of those people, 24 out of 25 in the first round all got their learners. And they were women, right? um, Most of them were right. women. There were lo- have it was no mixed group. Mm. Yeah. 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 And to get your yeah. licence here it's and independent, so, right? 25 to 25. That 25th person is yeah. just <laughs> <laughs> but They just pulled up. They, they came late. They just came late. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if they didn't go for it. They like this so much they want to do it twice. <laughs> but you know, we had what was beautiful was one day I walked past just to get coffee and um one of the workers said to me, Oh, that man that's like he was just sitting, like just kind of chilling um at the back of the, the class and they said, Oh, that guy passed his test very early on, but now he brings his wife and he just chills up the back of the class. Mm. Like it was so beautiful yeah. that this man was like not had not only achieved this for himself, but was then supporting his partner, you know. So there's all these beautiful moments that come out of it that just really just pull at the heartstrings, mm. you know, it's beautiful. Um, so we've had lots of like lots of groups. We've seen lots of clients for individual counselling. Uh, we've tried to make it as streamlined as possible and as easily accessible as possible. So we've actually contacted. We've got a list from um, settlement services. So we actually reach out to clients that don't have to be referred. We've tried to kind of make sure no one falls through the gaps, mm. which is quite unique to the mm. program. So we're reaching out to them, telling them about our service all those things, having those initial conversations, letting them know we're, we're, you know, we're here, we're doing it all with interpreters or in first language if we've got the resources. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool stuff. It's just bigger and bigger really and we're doing lots of partnerships with other agencies in the southeast, which makes it really mm-hmm. a whole lot richer, I think. Mm-hmm. And not everyone needs counselling. I think the beauty yeah. of doing these uh, kind of varied programs is that psychoeducation for some people is enough. Then they are aware of what's going on inside of them and they have the skills or the resources to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, these programs which restore meaning, purpose, dignity, mm-hmm. independence, mm-hmm. control of your life, they're healing, So then from all of that, there may be some people who are struggling more, yeah. who do need um, a little bit more support, individual counselling. Um, some people might need psychiatric help, again, mm. if their mental health is on the severe end of that spectrum. So, you know, you try and offer lots of different things that will meet people where they're at mm. and what they need. Yeah. Mm. That's amazing stuff. Yeah. Bef- before we wrap things up, do you guys have any questions or anything you want to say? No questions, No. Mm. Um, it would be interesting to hear what's what's up coming up next. What can we look out for as well, though? Um, I don't know. know. Should we tell them? I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to give us an exclusive. Yeah. Say it after when the camera's off. I guess, yeah, what can you share? What can people look out for um, in terms of, you know, the activities and what this campaign is, is going to entail, essentially? As well. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of briefly talked about yeah, it already. Sure. Anyway. Yeah. Um, like how we already started doing, you know, the school programs mm. kind of... Um, that's kind of starting, yeah. And then also we have a tournament at the end of the year. So tryouts are actually coming up soon. So if you have a oh, team... Oh, we have to try out? Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, listen, oh, last wow. year... <laughs> it was actually so big last that's year that, so you know, people, wanted, people were left out. You know what I mean? Like people yeah, actually felt yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, damn, yeah. like I wish I got my team together. So if you're an individual who wants to... Um, participate or if you have a, a team as well team of eight you can come through also the women are joining in this yeah. time as well yeah let's go we're, we're promoting inclusivity like all around the ro- around the um, around the board yeah. so yeah so it, sh- it should be good it should be amazing we're really excited um to see what what will come out of it um yeah and i guess like just re- reiterating like the connections you know especially mm. post lockdown we saw a lot of those connections break down so we're just kind of kind of come together as a community yeah. and just really uh, flesh that out. We also have a media event 
Um, yeah. We might <laughs> be having a kids event as well. Oh, so cool. then our last big event towards November. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's the plan. Plenty Is happen. socials where can people follow Shoot a Shoot? On Instagram. Instagram. If we do our job well, it'll come up on we'll screen. Come up, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we mainly use Instagram as yeah. a um, platform. Mm. We do have like Twitter. As you can see, like with the social media campaign, we'll, we'll have like a Twitter room as well on there yeah. with mm. like a lot of other um, professionals speaking as well on mental health and emotional well-being. Yeah, yeah that's our <laughs> um, last outlet, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, like I guess Instagram is probably the, the one to go to. Straight away. Awesome. Yeah. And same for you guys. Yeah, working people. Can I connect? Plug mostly, in? probably the website for information. Uh, referrals again. That's um, something people can refer a friend or family member. Um, they can refer themselves. It's all on the website. That's probably the best place to We're go. On Facebook. We are on Facebook, but it's We're a bit ordinary. No one uses Facebook. Like, but we have like sometimes we have cool videos in other languages. I still oh, definitely don't. Yeah. We'll check out Facebook, guys. I'm talking to the camera right now. Go to Facebook. You know, I feel like we need to get on Insta, but, you know. Oh, yeah, jump on Insta is good. Um, I just don't have enough hours in my day, otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a portfolio person. No, for sure. Before Nord does that. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not going to be right if Nord yeah, doesn't sign yeah, us out. Yeah, it has to be right. He does that outro and intro as well. Thank you so much for jumping on. Yeah, for this sure. has been very educational for us um, and for the listeners as well. Uh, shout out to Shoot a Shoot. Yeah. Uh, this is such an amazing opportunity for us as well. Yeah. All right. Shout out to Sagal as well, man. In the background, yeah. like that. Hey. Thank you. If our camera can move, we'll show him by. All right, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Disruption Podcast. Thank you to Foundation House. Thank you to Shoot is Shoot. Thank you. Love you guys very much. Peace out. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, do all those things. Make Share this sure with somebody as well. And do some self-care. No. Self-care. What was the other term? Self- Compassion. Compassion. Yeah. Do that this week. Yeah. All right, peace out. Later. Later. Later.